What's your Everest? You know, the highest mountain on earth, a metaphor for a goal that is so big that it scares you to even speak it out loud. That goal that takes more than a season, a year, or maybe takes a lifetime to even accomplish. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain and your host as we meet inspiring individuals who know what it's like to set big goals and how to accomplish them. Welcome to My Everest, a 29029 podcast. To me, it just wasn't an endurance event. It was more of a, a business, personal growth event. If you can tackle this and shatter the limits that you think you have, you can apply that to other parts of your life. Those are the words of two-time 29029 alumni, Chris Bystransky. Clearly, 29029 was more to Chris than just climbing up and down the same mountain for 36 hours. In my role at 29029, I try to get to know the participants. Over the four days that I get to spend with them, I typically get a good read on who they are in some of the roads and back roads they have traveled before climbing our mountains. Each one of them has a story, and I see it as my job to unlock a bit of that narrative to help create powerful moments on the mountain. But sometimes I don't see the whole story. I first met Chris in 2021 at Snow Basin. He was a guy with a great smile and a fun personality climbing with his buddies. He struggled and eventually called it a day three ascents short of his Everest. In 2022, he was back on the mountain in Snow Basin. I knew he had recently moved his family to Orlando with his wife and two young daughters. He and Allison split up their 29029 events between the two Snow Basin weekends that year, so one of them would be home with the kids. Allison earned her red hat at Snow Basin 1, and Chris was back for redemption at Snow Basin 2. Again, he was charming and happy. He dug deep and this time conquered his Everest on that mountain. It wasn't until months later that Chris sent me a book he had written. When I opened the package and looked at the front cover, I saw that familiar grin from the mountain. But then I saw something I didn't expect something I hadn't realized even after watching Chris climb a total of 23 ascents up Snow Basin in the past two years. On the front cover, Chris was holding two artificial hip joints, just like his artificial hip joints. I eventually went to some doctors and they confirmed, yeah, you've got really bad osteoarthritis and that left hip needs to be replaced. I didn't believe him. I tried to push it off. I got second and third opinions. Eventually, it became so painful to move, I had to have the surgery. And then the other hip started aching like crazy. So I went back to the doctor and they confirmed, yeah, that one needs to get replaced too. You don't have any cartilage. How does a 39-year-old man handle two hip replacement surgeries in 18 months with a wife and a small child? How does someone come back from a major surgery and rehabilitation like that to complete multiple Ironman triathlons and climb two 29029 events. It's a mindset and one that we would all benefit from. I was an athlete pretty much all my life, played anything that you could name. I had been dealing with years and years, maybe five, six years of straight hip pain. And just in my thirties, it really cut me down and I was not able to run as much as I wanted. I, I was not able to walk when I golf, couldn't really hit a golf ball the way I wanted. There's a lot of things I could not do. And I eventually went 
to some doctors and they confirm, yeah, you've got really bad osteoarthritis and that left hip needs to be replaced. And I was, I didn't believe them. I tried to push it off. I got second and third opinions. And then eventually it became so painful to move. Even getting up from a chair was excruciating that I had to have the surgery. I had my first hip replacement when I was 39. But what really pushed me and and got me to act was that my wife was going to have our first daughter. I was trying to think about, okay, how am I going to help my wife raise our daughter if I can't even move? So two months before the birth of our daughter, I had my hip replaced and then slowly got better, did a ton of physical therapy, stuck to the protocol, did everything the doctors and the physical therapist told me to do, tried to be the best patient I could be, did extra physical therapy once I got stronger to do that. And that hip got better. And then the other hip started aching like crazy. So I went back to the doctor and they confirmed, yeah, that one needs to get replaced too. You don't have any cartilage. So after going through it the first time, I knew what to expect. The decision the second time was so much easier because I knew what what was going to happen. The uncertainty was gone. I knew how to recover. I knew the benefits. So it was fearful the first time around. And then the second time, it's like, let's get it on. Let's go. How fast can we get this done? The surgeries were about 18 months apart. Got back into the pool after each surgery as soon as the incision was healed. And that really helped. And then the bike came next and then some running and walking after that. And then being on the golf course and being able to swing the way I wanted to and torquing the hell out of my hip. When I could do that, I knew my hips were great. So So, when, when you were given this diagnosis and these impending surgeries, did you have in your mind, I'm going to overcome this. I'm going to go on to do more endurance events. I'm going to do an Ironman. I'm going to do 29 and 29. Like, was that in your mind at that time? No, not at all. My goals were simply to be able to take my daughter for walks and get up and down from the floor so I could play with her. That was it. This was a very invasive surgery. So my goals were really low. If that was the only outcome, it was worth it to me because I was not able to do that to begin with. It wasn't until later, years later, actually, when my hips were were better and stronger that these other things came into my mind and I didn't want to go through life being restricted by my hips or the thought of I could not do that because of my hips. The surgeries and overcoming the pain and recovering propelled me to do more than I would have done in the first place if I did not have those surgeries. It's interesting. So you think that if you hadn't gone through that intense physical period of time and and of surgery and recovery, you think maybe you wouldn't be the endurance athlete you are today? Yes, that's true. Because I was perfectly content at the time golfing, doing century bike rides, which were common every year. Texas is a big cycling community. I I rode my bike a lot. I swam, but I don't think I would have participated in a big group event like the Ironman or like a 29 or 29, unless I was pushing myself to see what I could do. I I was perfectly content where I was in in life with my, my physical capabilities until this happened. And then I wanted to go back. I wanted to get back to where I was. And then I wanted to blow through that ceiling I had. What propelled you 
to that mindset? Was there something that someone said that, oh, you're not going to be able to? Like, what was your motivation to, hey, I'm I'm going to find out what I can do with this body? I, I think it was a kick in the pants at, at a time in my life where I had a good corporate career. I was okay physically other than this. And it was just a wake up call that I'm not, I don't have all the time in the world. And I wanted to do bigger things with my life. I just didn't want to go to work every day or just do the same events every year. I love doing the, the, the bike rides and the swimming because it gave me a sense of accomplishment. And it was, if it was an organized event, I, I looked forward to it all year. And I was thinking, if I enjoyed that, why don't I do more of that? And when I had the opportunity after and more drive, I was all in. I, I wanted to do as many as I could. I signed up for uh, a couple Ironmans and then 29029. And now I'm looking for events that scare the hell out of me. When were you introduced to 29029? The first time that we saw you on the mountain was in 2021, correct? Yes. So yes. 2021 is when you came and you were with a group of friends, a group of guys. How did you get to that point? I was training a lot for these triathlons and they were canceled because of COVID. I had enough of biking and swimming. I had an absolute enough and I needed something else. And I think I was YouTube videoing, uh, looking at some YouTube videos. And I came across a video on 29029. And then they were talking about Jesse Itzler being involved in this. So I went to Jesse's site and then he had it on there. And I'm, oh, this is really cool. Let's figure out how to get this done. It was such an attraction because it was so outrageous to me. It was so unreasonable. I was able to get in off the wait list. And I went, um, yeah, Snow Basin 2 in 2021. And honestly, at a time in my life, um, I struggled with it. I struggled with the elevation. I struggled with not being as prepared as I should have been for that particular event. I went up 10 times out of the 13. I struggled with my knee. My hips were okay, but I had torn my meniscus about two months before the event. And I was basically nursing it on the mountain. But still, had I been prepared as I needed to be, it wouldn't have been an issue. But I went up 10 times, very proud of that effort. And I wanted to go back the following year and complete it. Unreasonable. I love that because it is, you know, you've done two full Ironmans and you, you look at that in your 16 hour efforts on in Ironman and you look at that compared to 36 hours on the mountain and it really is. I mean, 29 or 29 is a different animal. It's a totally different kind of event. And what did you find? How was it different from other endurance events that you had done? And maybe what surprised you about it? What surprised me was a community. And the coaching, it's not a one-day event. A triathlon is a one-day event in my mind. But the 29029, with all the coaching that goes on and all the community that's involved, it's, it's at least a six-month event. And then the weekend of the actual event on the mountain is just like the culmination of everything that's happened over the last six months. And then number two, the ability to communicate and really get to know the other participants on a triathlon, it's, you, it brings out your better introvert. Whereas 29029 gives you the opportunity to bring out your better extrovert because you have the opportunity to talk to the coaches on the mountain, talk to you on the mountain, talk to 
all the other participants, the volunteers, you're not racing. You're not trying to shave minutes or seconds until the last hour or so. But to me, it just wasn't an endurance event. It was more of a, a business personal growth event. Because if you can overcome this, if you can tackle this and shatter the limits that you think you have, you can apply that to other parts of your life, whether that's in business or other areas of personal growth. It is interesting as you do go through that time of training and on the mountain, there's so many barriers that you come up against and you're constantly having to move through and break those barriers down. You're seeing other people go through the same process and you really do leave the mountain with a different kind of perspective where you realize, oh, I was able to do that. Well, what about in my my other part of my life? How can I shift that over? And I think that's something that we find across the board in sport and especially in endurance sport where it changes us. It changes what we understand as our limits and how we maneuver through those barriers that we most of the time are self-imposed. I mean, would you agree with that? Yeah, absolutely self-imposed. And there's probably not a day goes by that I don't think about 29 or 29 because as I'm doing things in my daily life, whether that's writing the, um, a book or working on sales or working on another business issue, when I run into a challenge or something that's very difficult to overcome, I literally think back to Snow Basin, to the mountain, and I picture where on that mountain did I have the same feeling, the same concerns, the same uncertainty? I'm able to think about, okay, what did I do then? Well, I just kept going forward. I took one step at a time, kept moving forward. I took stock of my assets. Okay, what do I have that's going for me? You know, on the mountain, it was, I got great food. I got hiking poles. I got great coaches. I've got, you know, great community. So I apply that concept of, okay, wh what's going on in my, in my business? What assets do I have in my business? So I'm applying the same concepts that I used on the mountain to my everyday life. I really like that lesson that you just talked about is taking stock of the positive assets that you have in your corner, because it's so easy for us when we come to those struggles on the mountain, whatever mountain it is, whether that's business, family, whatever, we go negative so often. I mean, I, I know I do where it's like, oh my gosh, how is this happening again? I can't believe we're in this spot. How did we get here? But I like what you're saying about taking stock of what's going right or what assets you're bringing to the table at that moment. Yeah, it's so easy. And I think it's a natural tendency for people to focus on the negative. We have so many things positive going for us. And I think it's just a change of perspective or we need someone to just nudge us and remind us but if we can do that on our own, I can overcome whatever I'm facing, whether it's business, personal, physical, whatever it is, we've got a lot of things going for us. We just have to recognize that, use them and move forward. All of a sudden, these major obstacles or these major mountains that are in front of us become really small. When you were on the mountain the first time, you were able to achieve 10 ascents. How did you balance that out to be content with the effort that you were able to put in that day versus how come you didn't finish, Chris? I came to the conclusion late the first day that I was not going to make the 13 ascents just based on the time, but it was do what you can. I realized that with my 10 ascents, I ascended more that 
36 hours than I had ascended probably in the previous five years. You know, I was coming from Houston and there's no such thing as a hill. So being able to ascend whatever 20,000, 22,000 feet, that was an incredible accomplishment. Now, I wanted to go back to finish it, but I, I got everything out of it that I thought I could get out of it and more. I wasn't able to walk eight years earlier. So those are all huge accomplishments. So, um, and I met some great people, absolutely great people. One of the stories I wanted to share was that on Thursday, Quinano Tornanders at dinner, we were sitting outside the lodge around a campfire after eating dinner. And I'm sitting in a group of people, didn't know any of them. I sit down and I start talking. There's like six other people around the campfire. And the lady next to me asks where I'm from. And I said, oh, I'm from Texas. She's like, I'm from Texas. Where, where are you from? Well, Houston. She's like, I'm from the Houston area. Where are you from? Oh, I'm from Katy. Oh, I'm from Katy. Where are you from? And I gave her my basic intersection. She's like, I live a mile away from there. I perfect strangers. The lady, her name's Erin. She lived one mile, maybe two miles away from me. And we never met total random. So, and we've kept in contact since then. And it's been absolutely amazing to meet people like that. Yeah. Those connections that you can make when, when like you said, you, you let yourself you let your guard down a little bit at 29029. You get a little vulnerable. You're able to be a little more extroverted. And we always tell people to go into 29029 like that. Maybe put the headphones away. Really lean into the experience because you do have to choose to put yourself out there. You do have to choose to share your story. You do have to choose to talk to other people and engage with them. But when you do, what could you find out? We just did a podcast with Mike Parnell, not very long ago, where he met someone on the mountain that has been absolutely integral in him helping with his daughter who has this very rare autoimmune disease. And had they not been at a dinner, had somebody not said something, that connection never would have been made had they not been in that spot together. Yeah. You think about the people who are there. You think about the best conference, event, whatever you want to go to with high performers or high achievers or high or people with high ambition. This is it. All right. People are coming from very diverse backgrounds and then have the drive to go do this. That is an incredible combination. And I want to meet as many of those people as possible. Yeah. Let's put them all on a mountain and give them 36 hours to hammer it out together. Yeah. You, you'll figure it out. Right? <laughs> I think we can solve all the world's problems in 36 hours with the groups that we find at 29 yeah. on 29. It's such an in incredible thing. And, you know, there's something that you had mentioned in, in some of your notes that I was reading is the myth of being ready to do something. We perpetuate that all the time. I'm not ready. I'm not ready to have kids. I'm not ready to start a business. I'm not ready to be an entrepreneur. I'm not ready to climb a mountain for 36 hours. What, what do we do to that mindset? Yeah, so I, I think you're right. We have this trap where we think we have to be fully ready before we go and start anything. And I was a victim of that trap as well with um, getting ready for these 
Ironmans or or getting ready for business or getting ready for launch sales or or getting ready for 29029. It's I'm I'm not ready. I, I have to train one more day. I have to I have to take one more rest day. I've got to do one more mile. I've got to do one more this. I've got to do one more that. When the, the fact of the matter is there's no such thing as being perfectly ready. We have to be ready to go before we are what we consider ready to go. You know, success comes from doing the things today that we will be ready for tomorrow. We need to be ready to go before we're ready to go. We have to start doing sooner. We can't wait until, you know, we, we have all of our ducks in a row because that's not how, how life works. Maybe kids show up before you want them to. Maybe a promotion shows up before you want them to. Maybe a, a layoff shows up before you want it to. Maybe a retirement shows up before you want it to. We don't get to make a lot of those choices. And our mindset has to be that it doesn't matter what happens. These are my assets. This is what I have in my corner. I'm going to face what's coming at me. Don't need to be 100% ready to go. Now, I'm not saying do not prepare. Prepare the best you can, but don't put off something that you can start. Because part of the preparation is starting and failing if that's necessary. That's going to teach us a lot about being able to move forward and being successful. That's an epic mind shift right there. What could we accomplish when we do that? I mean, I, the bravery and the courage that it takes to do that, to just start, not knowing where the end's going to be. That's the bravery and courage we need in all facets of our life. If we can just get to the start line. I think living our lives in a way of being prepared to take on the challenges around us, make sure that we're in good health, make sure that we're doing our very best that we can. We're putting our best efforts forward so that when opportunities do come, sure, I'm going to start and let's see where it goes because you just don't know where it's going to end up. Participation is, in my, in my mind, is 99%. You got to participate. You know, I, there's a big push people criticizing participation medals for kids in, in sports. And you know what? I've done some endurance events, triathlons, and I got a participation medal, a finisher medal. I'm very proud of that. I'm very proud of my efforts. And, you know, giving those types of things to kids, a lot of people criticize that. Participation is hard. It's very hard. Kids grow up to be adults and they're aware that they're not good at something. But if they can participate, if they can overcome that fear, overcome the trepidation of moving forward, of taking the risk of putting themselves out there, that matters and that should be rewarded. Those are the role models that I want. People who do not, are not great at something and they do it anyway. They start, they don't wait till they're ready. They take risks, they put themselves out there. I joined a swim team in high school because I didn't have anything else to do and I ripped up my knee playing hockey. So I had to do something over the winter. I joined and that one step of being horrible at it for the whole season, I learned how to swim, but it has opened up so many doors for me 20, 30 years after high school that had I not taken that risk would not lead me to the successes that I've had. I think of Colin O'Brady, our co-founder, in his book, and he has talked about this in the last season when he was speaking at our 29 on 29 events, where 
sometimes we get in this comfortable complacency in life where things are just kind of rolling along and it's, they're not bad. They're not good. We're not super passionate, but we're not unhappy either. We're just kind of at this five on a scale of one to 10. We just kind of float there. And that's an easy place to float because it doesn't hurt too bad. We know what to expect on the other side. But like you said, when we do take that step up that ladder, when we do get to the next rung, maybe we experience some ones and twos and threes and some things that aren't very great on this scale of one to 10, but we've unlocked the opportunity to see the nines and tens and to have the the possibility of actually getting there when we just sit in this complacency place and we fail to start things, you know, we're really not growing. We're just there. Yeah. You know, there's this, there's this concept of the midlife crisis um, where people get to a certain point in their life and they, they, they're not satisfied with what they've accomplished or, or, or purchased or what have you. And they want to go do more. Wouldn't it be something if instead of a midlife crisis, it was a mid-year crisis where every year it's like, if you get halfway through the year and you haven't done what you wanted to accomplish, or you want you're not who the person you wanted to be, you just kick everything in the gear. And for the rest of the year, you're really getting after it. Wouldn't our lives so much be so much more richer and maybe we could give a lot more back to society and our family and whoever, if we could just get our butts in gear and have that midlife crisis every year. Life is such a journey and we just have to be willing to take it. I think that's really what I'm hearing from you is it's like, here I am, a guy who not even 40 years old. I needed two hip replacements. I had to recover from that. I've got a young family. I've got a business that I'm working on, but yet your ability to show up and to start all of these things in your life really teaches that it's not about the metrics. It's not about the finish line. It's not about the red hats. It's not about the numbers. It's not, it's not about what we're accumulating. It's about what we're experiencing. The time in, in these events is really irrelevant in my mind, regardless of the event. You know, it's almost like high school or college grades. You just check the box that you, you, you did it. And it's more of the experience. And what did you learn about yourself while you were there? And how is that going to help you the rest of your life? There you have it. My Everest, the latest episode of the 29029 podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, make sure you subscribe wherever you get your favorite podcasts. If you'd like to learn more about 29029 events or read more stories from an incredible community of individuals, you can head over to 29029everesting.com. That's 29029everesting.com. I'm Colleen Rue, the voice of the mountain. Keep climbing. We'll meet you at the next summit.